Paul writes to his disciple Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will wander away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, speak to us this day. Speak to us through the preaching of your word. Lord, that your church might be built and that each of us might be more aware of your glory in our midst. Encourage us. Inspire us to the truth. Fill us with such joy and goodness that we might run the race before us with dignity in your sight. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Paul's days were drawing to a close. We don't know exactly how long from the end of writing this letter to Timothy to his death. We don't know how much time there was precisely between that. Scholars speculate that it may have been days, it may have been weeks. It's likely in that case that by the time that Timothy actually received this letter in his hands in Ephesus, that Paul had already died. Paul was not an old man by our modern standards. He was probably in his late 50s or in his early 60s. And he had spent the last 30 years of his life pouring out his energies, pouring out his mind, pouring out his soul in convictions into the lives of the men and women that he encountered throughout the Mediterranean world. He was beaten for it. He was pierced for it. He was flogged for it. He was praised for it. He was misunderstood. At times he was worshipped, falsely worshipped for it. But his commitment through his entire ministry, from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, was to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. See, Paul had met Jesus Christ, not personally in the flesh like the other apostles had. He met him on the Damascus Road. And being a scholar and being a student in his training of the Scriptures, he knew the power of preaching in the life of a community. He knew the Old Testament. He knew that when God spoke all things into existence, into being, what did he do? He preached. He preached. He said, let there be life. And in saying, let there be life, the Lord summoned into being all things that exist from nothing, that everything might stand before him in dignity and beauty according to his will and pleasure, that it might share covenant fellowship with him and receive his blessing. 
If there isn't a better example in Scripture of preaching than what God does in Genesis 1, I don't know of where one could be found. Paul knew the power of preaching. Creation is the fruit of divine preaching. And he himself also was the fruit of Christ's preaching. But it was Christ's word to him there on the Damascus road, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That turned his life completely around. And so when Paul in his latter days is seeking to pass on the last final truths, the closing summary of his argument to Timothy, he leaves him with these words to remind him of his charge about what he is to primarily devote himself to in the life of his ministry that the church might flourish. And it's not what we might expect, right? I mean, some of you come from Bible church backgrounds, so you're like, yeah, preach the word. Some of us, though, come from contexts and congregations where fellowship, where music, where Christian community, these are the things we're longing for and looking for in the church. But Paul doesn't say, build more small groups. He doesn't say, start more choirs or worship teams. He says to Timothy, preach the word. Because it's the word of God that gives meaning and life to everything else we do. It is the seed that causes men and women to recognize that we don't belong to ourselves, but we belong wholly, purely, and wonderfully to Jesus Christ. So we forsake our selfish ambitions. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to community, to worship, to breaking of bread. Because we have been defined by Christ himself. And that word comes to us through the act of preaching. So, yep, another sermon this morning on preaching by preachers on the importance of preaching. You might remember that Eric preached these things earlier in um, May of this year. I encourage you, go back and listen to that sermon. But yes, preaching again is what we devote ourselves to this morning because it's what Paul devoted himself to in these words. There are four things I would like to discuss this morning on why preaching matters for the life of the church, why preaching must continue, why it must be perpetuated in our midst. And they come primarily from verse 2. Paul says to Timothy that I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus who is to judge the living of the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Timothy knew what preaching was. <laughs> this wasn't the first time that he'd heard of this term or heard of this concept. He himself had received the blessing of Paul's preaching on numerous occasions. He was well aware of the tradition of preaching in Jewish circles as, as rabbis would preach at some point in the ser services in the synagogues or as the prophets had preached to God's people out in the open air calling them back to faithfulness of the covenants. But the term preach here borrows from a powerful concept that also would have been aware of Timothy. He knew that the subject of preaching was done by heralds, royal heralds, who coming into the open square in the Greco-Roman worlds would declare the message of what was going on in the life of the king or in the country to give hope and joy to the people. This is what Timothy was called to do. He was called to be a herald of the truths of God's kingdom into the public sphere that those who might listen might turn from their selfish ways, hear the gospel, be penetrated by its truths through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and might walk in life according to the gospel and calling of Christ. It's why 
preaching and the act of preaching does something for us, both as preachers and as members of the congregation. It uniquely dignifies our existence. For Timothy, who knows what his destiny would have been if he hadn't encountered Paul and hadn't encountered the preaching of God's Word. But God had a purpose for him to not make him like his father or his mother, but to pull him out of that mixed context of his own parentage and to be a useful tool and instrument of God's own glory. That is a gift that God gives to preachers to remind them that your life and purpose is not your own. Your life and purpose is to serve me. That dignifies our existence as men, but not just ours alone. It also dignifies our existence as members of God's family, as the recipients of preaching. Who knows where we could, could have been if it wasn't for the act of preaching in our midst? But all of us, somewhere in some places, heard the teaching of God's Word. We encountered and came across a preacher. We heard orally the words of truth. Our hearts were changed. And now God has called us uniquely into Himself. See, part of the effect of the congregation in preaching is that it reminds us of the providential care of God. That He decided in time and space to call us to Himself. And in that calling, we are reminded that we are not worthless. We are not irrelevant to God. We are not ultimately despised by God. We're not alone in life. But we are loved. We're wanted. We're heard. And we're invited by the One who is most important to come and know Him and discover what is most important in His ways. Well, preaching dignifies our existence Preaching also is meant to summon us into an urgent disregard for convenience. Paul says to Timothy, not just to preach the word, but to be ready in season and out of season. Oh, be ready in season and out of season. Be always prepared, Timothy. Always prepared for what is to come. Be ready contains that sense of urgency and in season and out of season conveys the seasons of our life. There are times in life where it is more convenient to follow Christ and be faithful to His will. There are times where it is less convenient in life to follow Christ and be faithful to His will. Paul is calling Timothy, Son, let there be no excuse in your life for your fidelity to God's Word and call. Don't let your own agendas, your own goals, your own ambitions, your own worldly commitments deter you from your calling in me. See, one of the realities that we all know, it seems like one of our favorite excuses for putting off or rejecting the things of Christ is, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy. <laughs> I'm reminded whenever I hear that of Harry Chapman's song, The Cat's in the Cradle. You know some of the lyrics. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking for I knew it, and as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. But the author's life evolves and evolves, and he misses opportunity and opportunity and opportunity. And what does the author of this song do? Well, he raises a son that is just like him, that puts off his father, that puts off his family, and prioritizes himself. 
You see, when we do the same things with God, when we put Him off, when we put Him off, we communicate the same realities to those around us, that really there are more important priorities to us in our own lives. And what do we expect when previous generations also neglect the truths of Christ? Because they've done exactly how we've taught them in our lives. Paul's aware of this danger. It's why he encourages Timothy to be ready, be always ready, preach the word in season and out of season, take every opportunity before you to declare the word of God that it might go forward in your midst. Well, there's a third thing that preaching does. Preaching targets the cancers of the soul. Paul says to Timothy, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and in teaching. It's interesting when we think about our soul, there are problems in our lives. And there are three fundamental issues that relate to our own relationship to the Lord. There's the problem of ignorance, of lack of understanding. There's the problem of obstinance, of understanding, but willfully rejecting His ways. And also there's the problem of despair, of being so overwhelmed by the realities of sin, of pain, of grief, that you have no strength in you to find the will to press forward and believe. That's why Paul turns to Timothy and challenges him, charges him to, repu to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove the congregation. Teach them in such a way that intelligibly informs them of the realities of God's word and ways. That you might know them, be convinced of them, and seek to follow after them in your life. That is one of the responsibilities of Timothy in preaching. But he's not just to inform the minds, although information is essential in sound preaching. He must also call them to repentance. And that's where the act of rebuking comes in. It can be done in two ways. It can be done actively or passively. You can directly call out what's being done or you can imply through your words. Whichever way you choose, call the people to recognize their sin for what it is, to hate their sin as God hates their sin, and desire to turn from it that they might find life in God's ways. Rebuke them so they will not stay in obstinance, but will follow the Lord faithfully. But don't just rebuke them. Also exhort them. Inspire them to the truths of God's words that are more glorious and beautiful and excellent than anything that exists here on our foundational central plane on earth. That the glory of God is good. He is loving. He is just. He is forgiving. Repent and turn from Him, for He is good and He loves you. Inspire the people to godliness. Don't just flog them and chastise them with your words, but inspire them to the truth that they might long for it and yearn for it in their own souls. Well, there's a challenge that you're going to face in that world and in that task, Timothy. And that task is that people are going to naturally desire to surround themselves with teachers who are going to inform and confirm their own convictions. By implication, don't be a preacher that just confirms to the congregation what they already believe. Confirm to them the teaching of God's Word. Push them 
gently, patiently, graciously, but push them into the truths of God's Word that they might wholly conform to its teaching. And this is where the fourth act comes in. Timothy, not only are you to preach these things externally, but also you are to demonstrate them powerfully in your person and in your character. Paul encourages him to teach these things in complete patience and teaching. And Paul reminds him later on in verse 5 that as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Why, Timothy? Because you are called in the midst of your people to be a living representation of Jesus Christ. When the congregation assemble together, when they receive his preaching, part of the purpose is that together we are personally experiencing and encountering Christ together. And you, as Christ's spokesman, must be as much like him as you humanly can. But you're not alone. Christ is going to be with you because he is going to be pushing you as you study his word, as you wrestle with its teaching, as you try to discern how to communicate these truths to God's people, that he is going to be working on forming your own character into being a living witness of Jesus Christ. Don't be shy about that, Timothy. Let the church see Christ in you. Let them see a broken man who's been pressed by the challenges of his word and lacks the strength on his own well-being to preach truths that are far beyond him. But in that brokenness, let you end and let Christ begin. Because ultimately, Timothy, you are not what I want them to see. I want them to see Jesus Christ. When I was a little boy, I would walk into my mom's room and sometimes snoop around. Perhaps you did so too. <laughs> Not my mother's room, I hope. And in, in my mom's bedroom, right by her nightstand, was a stack of devotionals. And one of those devotionals was Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. I took it one day, I opened it up, and not knowing where to start, I thought, well, my birthday's on March 10th. I'll start with my birthday. What does this reading say? I opened it up, and this is what I found in that reading. March 10, being an example of his message. The subtitle, Preach the Word. The text, 2 Timothy 4.2. Chambers says, We are not saved only to be instruments of God, but to be his sons and daughters. He does not turn us into spiritual agents, but into spiritual messengers. And the message must be a part of us. The Son of God was his own message. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. As his disciples, our lives must be a holy example of the reality of our message. Even the natural heart of the unsaved will serve if called upon to do so. But it takes a heart broken by conviction of sin, baptized by the Holy Spirit, and crushed into submission to God's purpose to make a person's life a holy example of God's message. There is a difference between giving a testimony and preaching. A preacher is someone who has received the call of God and is determined to use all his energy to proclaim God's truth. God takes us beyond our own aspirations and ideas for our lives and molds and shapes us for his purpose, just as he worked in the disciples' lives after Pentecost. 
The purpose of Pentecost was not to teach the disciples something, but to make them the incarnation of what they preached so that they would literally become messengers in the flesh. You shall be witnesses to me. Therefore, allow God to have complete liberty in your life when you speak. Before God's message can liberate other people, his liberation must first be real in you. Gather your material carefully and then allow God to set your words on fire for his own glory. This is the call of the pastor and the preacher. But it's not just the call of the pastor and the preacher to declare God's word this way. It's the call of all of us to be witnesses to God, to be witnesses in our home, to be witnesses in our workplace. I preach far more as a father to my children than I preach as a pastor to a congregation. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be fervent and studious in your attention to God's word. Let its words ignite in you a fire that consumes every sin in your life and sets you on a trajectory to so beautifully and powerfully proclaim and display the truths of God that your wife, your husband, that your children, that all around you might say, there's something different in this person. And that difference is Jesus Christ. That's our calling. That's our privilege. And that's our joy. May we do so purely, wondrously, perfectly, and completely. Not for our own glory, but for the glory of his majesty. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the words that you have given to Paul to deliver to Timothy. We thank you also that you make your word available to us here in written form. That it may be proclaimed, that its truths might be proclaimed to us in verbal form. O oh Lord, encourage us this day. Allow us to be ignited in our souls with the truths of your own word. May you be so alive and real to us that we continually die to our own sin and live for you. And Father, make us joyful. For Lord, we truly are yours, having been purchased by your Son for your eternal pleasure. In his name we pray. Amen.